Welcome to All Things Africa, the podcast. Listen in as Levy, Mike, and Linda discuss socio-political and economic current events and how they affect Africans worldwide. Welcome to another episode of All Things Africa. Today we are honored to have a special guest with us. As many of you know, Washington State in the U.S. was one of the highly affected areas in the U.S. in the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic. And so we are privileged to have a nurse who has worked in that state during that particular period and has a lot of insight and experiences during those very tumultuous and very uh, extreme periods in the U.S. when coronavirus pandemic was still spreading. Uh, she has been a nurse in Washington State for 16 years experience, uh, so she has quite a vast experience in issues that have to do with taking care of patients. And as we have heard from various cases, the nurses are in the front line, uh, always dealing with patients and taking care of them and seeing a lot of experiences that patients go through. But they too go through the experiences uh, during these periods of transitioning uh, from a period of taking care of normal uh, situations of diseases to taking care of coronavirus pandemic. So we'll have a chance to learn about that. But also, she's also a minister, a pastor, who works with the youth and children quite a lot um, in a church in Washington State, and in the same time also a church in Kenya. And so they also have had to deal with how to transition and deal with the coronavirus pandemic outside of the hospital in a context where with people and being affected and having to close down the church and think about how to reopen and even dealing with how to reopen. So there's a lot to learn here from someone who has been in the front lines, um, who has been able to see how everything works in the front lines and how it affects everyone and how it affects patients and how it affects them. And so there's a lot to learn here and acquire from uh, our special guest, Evelyn. And so, Evelyn, welcome to our podcast, and we are very honored to have you with us today. Thank you very much. I'm also honored to be here. It's a good opportunity to be able to share some of the experiences and um, some of the things that people might not know, especially being on the front line and being a part of what has been going on, actually being able to put my hands in the, in the dirt versus just hearing it from others. So if I may start, uh, one of the things that a lot of nurses had to deal with when the coronavirus pandemic cases were increasing was changing routines. You could imagine a situation where there was no coronavirus pandemic and you knew you'd have to wake up at a certain time, go to work, log into work, have a cup of coffee, and you know, it's just start working. You don't have to think about all the gear you have to put on and all the routines you have to do. So they, there must have been a transition in the sense that routine had to change for you when coronavirus pandemic um, hit Washington state and when you started seeing these cases. Could you walk us through the changes that you have seen in terms of the routine you as a nurse had to go through before coronavirus pandemic and the routines that you had to go um, to follow, your experiences as a nurse, these routines that you had to follow during the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, so prior to coronavirus pandemic, the routine was so normal and it was something we were used to for years 
of just waking up knowing that this is the time you have to go to work and this is how you dress to go to work and this is what you do when you get to work and when you leave this is just how you leave so come COVID-19 things suddenly change because when you wake up the routine was not the same you wake up and you go thinking about different things versus thinking about uh, what you think every day so part of the things that you always thought about was um who has it and who doesn't have it and how do I need to dress up? First of all, the way we dress changed. You get to work and you are dressed in a normal way, you wear your scrubs and you did not worry about all the PPE other than your gloves when you're working and washing your hands, which is part of our usual routine. But this time around, you had to think about a, a glove, you had to think about a mask, you had to think about the, the protective gear, then you have to think about the shield and you have to think about your shoes and it's like you cover your entire body so that is one routine that changed that uh, affected how we dress and then how you breathe because when you're definitely wearing those gears you cannot breathe and you 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 you're tempted to actually take it out because of lack of air number two it's how you also thought about the day the routine changed because you just never walked in and got a routine, uh, a report on the patients. You wanted to know who had it, who else got infected, uh, which coworker got infected, and how am I going to deal with this and that. Another routine that changed was the time. You were not gonna leave at the exact same time that you did. You were not gonna leave just whenever you wanted to leave. You were not gonna leave and just knowing that I've done my walk and I'm done. You knew that you walked in early and when you walked in, you start thinking of the patients. You go and ask in fear what happened, especially if you were day shift, you want to know from the night shift what happened and who is still around. Um, that also changed quite a lot. Your, your eating routine changes because you don't want to get out of the gear and get back in so that you can eat. Your bathroom routine changes because you think about undressing and dressing back on. Um, it's going to take a lot of time. So you just think of this saying your rest routine changes because you're not resting uh, the normal hours that you would rest or the, the, uh, the enough hours that we would rest on a normal uh, nursing day. I mean, of course, there were emergencies when, before COVID, but in this case, it's an everyday thing that changed. What do you think is, has been the hardest part? Is it the routine change or um, the amount of uh, personal protection gear that you have to wear? or you know or what do you, what was the most difficult during this time to adjust the amount of um the amount of equipment that you have to wear mm -hmm. uh, even though sometimes it wasn't enough you would just have to improvise things so for example if i didn't want to wear the shield i would probably just wear the, the glasses but the glasses are not enough because in your mind you think this might not be enough. So that, that particularly changed because if you had to take care of an, a client in isolation on a regular day before COVID, you'd probably just wear your goggles and you were good enough. But at this particular time, you'd have to wear your goggles and you also have to put that protective shield over the goggles. So that was a big change, just the amount of things you had to wear because it obviously changes how you, you breathe, how you walk and how you just uh, function physically. How do you personally feel walking in this terrain or this domain of coronavirus pandemic? Personally, how did you feel the first times when you started doing it? Because I could imagine 
myself walking in such a situation, perhaps feeling scared, uh, feeling unprepared, because some of us just read the newspapers and watch the news and hear about the stories, but we are not in it the way you are in it. So how, how, are the, how, is, how is the state in terms of the feelings that go through you when you're going to the, to the hospital to take care of patients? So um, it was quite challenging in the beginning because when, when we had a COVID-19 to begin with, at that time, it started in Washington state and we had of the first case. And uh, I remember one of the nurses being excited, the nurses where that client went to, and he was so, she was excited because now they were able to use that room that they have never used for years and years and years and have been going through drills and drills. It looked like an excitement at that time. And I thought, wow, that is really exciting. I would love to be a part of that at that time. But as soon as COVID-19 hit and started striking and started striking uh, the nursing homes, and that at that particular time, it became real and it became more of um, a reality versus an excitement. It became more of a fear versus an experience that I want to deal with because first of all, you start thinking death. You start thinking family. You start thinking what if. You start thinking how am I going to deal with it. So it, it was a stage of helplessness because it came with a gush. It came as a, a small thing and then suddenly it was a gush and you start feeling helpless. When we were told that it was in the facility that I worked in, and one of the nurses called me and said that now we had our first case. And the first thing that came in my mind was, okay, I'm helpless in this case. Should I quit the job? Uh, should I go to work? For her at that time, she had decided she was not going to go to work and she had decided to quit the job because she was fearful because we had our first case. And for me, I thought, this is not how I'm going to think. I'm just going to go to work. But when I go to the parking lot, I thought twice before I could walk into the building, fearful that I'm going to contract it and I'm going to die and, and my family is going to die and the people that I'm related to are going to die and what am I going to do if all these people die and how am I going to do all this? What do I have to wear? I don't even know. They say it's in the air, it's in coughing, it's in this and that. What if I just walk in and never come out? So it was so terrifying, very, very terrifying. And, and I... I thought at that time, okay, maybe I need to change a career, but I just uh, chimed in and started off. So what keeps you, I guess, how do you manage that fear? Because I don't think it completely goes away, but how do you manage that fear for yourself? And, you know, considering that you, you go home every day to your family, are you worried about infecting them if you've been infected from a patient or a colleague? You know, how do you handle that stress and that fear? Yeah, um, it was quite challenging, but I, we had, I had to find a self-coping skill uh, because I remember the first time when I walked in and, um, and I had the caregivers and some of the caregivers that I worked with were basically from home, I mean, from Africa. And, and sometimes with the stereotypes we have about Africa sometimes, and we try to bring it into the reality, sometimes it just doesn't work and it affects us more and they decided they were not gonna work and nobody was gonna care for this patient. And so here I am, I had to be a nurse and I had to be a caregiver at the same time because they totally refused. And I thought, okay, now I have to put my fear aside and just do the best I can. So one of the things that I just did, I said at the door, I just said my little prayer and I said, Lord, you are just going to help me in this and I'm just gonna believe that I'm not gonna die. I have no choice. 
I have to help this person. That is why I'm here. That is why I picked this career. That is why I decided that I'm gonna, my job is to help people. And now this guy is sick, it was, uh, it was a gentleman. And I'm just gonna walk in. Fearful, I dressed in and walked in with fear, but I was so determined that I'm totally covered and covered every part of me that you can think of. And I prayed and I just thought positively. I kept thinking positively that I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. But at the same time, I was so paranoid and, and stood so far away. But when you look at how helpless the person is in the bed, it just gives you that energy to, to just keep going. It just gives you the positive uh, stamp up that keep going. You, you will live here safe. When you leave the doll and, and you, start, you strip out and now you leave whatever you have inside, and now you, you bleach every part of you. You bleach your shoe. I bleached everything thinking this is going to make it because I don't want to get sick and I don't want my family getting sick. Felt fine at that time. When you get home, it's a whole different story because from the moment you get in your car, because in the beginning they said it's everywhere, in your car, in your chairs, in everything, in your eyes. And how many times do we touch our eyes every single moment? I get in the car and I sit in the car and I start thinking, okay, is it on the steering wheel? Is it on the chair? Do I bleach? What do I do? I get to the door, I get to the driveway and I sit and think, how do I get in the house? Do I strip out at the door or do I just walk in the way I am? And thankfully when, when it started, I used to work night shift. I would get in and I would not shake anybody's hand. I have to go upstairs and not talk to anybody, get a shower, come out and say hi. And I say, I hope I'm not going to contract anybody with this disease. So one of the things, again, I said, I am going to check their temperatures. I'm going to buy vitamins. I'm going to buy anything for them and monitor them at home too. Because my fear was more them than me. Because when we come home, we are not wearing any protective gear. At home, we are just bare. But in the, in the, at work, we, we protect ourselves. So I thought if I had it in my hands and shook their hands, it, I would just give it to them. So the prayer was one of the things and the positive mindset that I had to put on in my mind was something else and changing of my mindset that I'm going to make it. But as soon as you leave, it all goes away and fear comes in, stress comes in, um, depression comes in and, uh, and you look for another support system and thinking, now how do I unwind? So uh, Evelyn, first of all, thank you for being here. And um, I'm wondering, you is there a patient that has stood out to you, a patient that you were taking care of that either gave you hope or um, encouragement in how it went in terms of their experience with COVID? So one of the patients that I had um, was a 90-year-old gentleman. And... Um, Obviously, they, they say that that age is a risky age and they don't make it and um, they die and they have underlying health conditions. He had underlying health conditions. He was 90. He was definitely frail. He was sick. He was totally sick. But when, we looked at, when I looked at him, I said, okay, if he makes it, then many people will make it because he's 90 and he's sick and he's got COVID and he's coughing. You walk in the room, he's coughing. Um, nobody, everybody's fearful of him. Nobody wants to take care of him apart from the nurses and, and, uh, and respectfully saying this, uh, the Caucasians were more uh, willing 
to do it than my African family members and uh, my African co-workers. And so we would go in with most of them. So he stood out because he got out of it and he recovered. And he was the first one and he was the first one to recover. So when he recovered, at that point I knew, okay, many people are going to recover. If this man recovered, the first times we went, his fever was always elevated. He always could never breathe. He always looked like he was never gonna make it. But slowly by slowly, he started recuperating, he started recuperating and he's, he never had the fevers, he never had the cough, he never had everything going on and he slowly got out of it. So he gave me hope because he was 90, he was one of the ones that people thought will never make it. He was the first one that everybody was fearful and nobody wanted to take care of him. He was the one that I had to do the CNA job of cleaning him, toileting him and and doing all this, walking side by side with him. And he was the one that recovered out of every, amongst others that never made it. Right, right. And the, so you said there was a nine-year-old, yeah? Who passed? He was 90, no. Ours were, most of them were older people. Were older people. He was 90, yeah. Did you get to interact with their families or not? For the ones, the ones that passed? Yeah. Yeah, so the ones that pass, you have to call their families. And the, one of the most challenging things is when you call a family member and you want to tell them that your family has not made it or your family looks like we not make it. And now we have just done everything we can do and we just have to let go. So you call them and you definitely have to give them the sad news. You don't even know how to start because yourself, you're overwhelmed. They, the patients become part of your family. And seeing them go and having to call a family member and saying they are gone is just terrifying and it's heartbreaking and it's it kills the hope in you and you just feel like I'm done and I don't want to do this job anymore if I cannot do any better. So another capacity that you you currently carry is that you're a pastor. How has COVID affected you know the ministry? So when COVID came, of course, then we were instructed to close our churches, which, which we had to comply. So it's one of the situations where you, yes, there's the faith and there's the hope and there's the prayer. And in the past, we are used to dealing with every condition, every, every disease, every stress in the church, and you pray in the church and deal with it in the church. But this is one thing that affected the church in, in, in a different way because it's not one of those things you say, let's go to church and we lay your hands on you and we pray for you and we and this is going to go away. This is one of the things that you have to be separated whether you're a pastor or not. So we had to close the church and, um, and members had to start using the virtual way of worship, which was quite challenging for the older generation because not most of them know how to do the Facebook and uh, for the young generation who keeping the attention on Facebook is not just easy and uh, home being very distracting. So many people have not been able to come back to church, even though right now it's been opened in a week. Many people have not been able to come back to church. It started well and people were able to watch and uh, the numbers keep decreasing, keep decreasing, keep decreasing. And usually I think there is a study that says after two months of doing something, your brain just shifts and begins to get comfortable with what is going on. And now we're in our fourth or fifth month of not going to church. 
so people have been so comfortable that it has broken the system where we we would love fellowshipping together but it has brought in fear because you don't even trust church anymore while in the past people trusted church and thought that it was a safe place to go and and seek refuge but now people don't even trust church you find that someone would trust a mall and go to the mall at this time but someone is not trusting a church that is how the church has, has been affected people would trust jobs we go to work we go to the mall we go to grocery stores we shop but when it comes to Sunday, even though the church is partially open, people feel like they cannot come to church. They don't trust it anymore. So you you um you also have a son whom you would go back home to. I remember talking to um another lady who has a daughter who works who works in the front line, has worked in Florida, has traveled to New Jersey, and she was talking about how, and the, this lady also has a daughter, and the, the mother takes care of the daughter, but she was talking about how it's challenging because the lady had to come through the garage door to make sure that she does not interact with the daughter the first thing, and she has to take off everything there in the garage and then take another route to go take a bath and everything and make sure she's clean before she actually goes to interact with the child. I wonder how you've interacted with your son throughout this process and how he has dealt with this period of you transitioning from a normal sort of situation of work to a situation where now you're a mother, but you're a mother who takes care of uh, COVID-affected patients. So, um, yeah, that was quite challenging because um, I, have, I have him and I have... Um, also another covenant daughter that I'm living with. So there were two, there was the son who is a teenager and then there's a covenant daughter who is 24, who had just come also from Kenya. And um, when you walk in, um, the first thing they wanna do, especially the girl, is to hug you because that's the normal way. And it was just sad when you tell them, oh wait, don't hug me yet. I have to go and take a shower, I have to take off my clothes, and then I'll come and say hi to you all. And you, you have to pass them. They stretch out their hands to you, both of them. They want to say hi, they want to hug you because you meet them in different, maybe you meet one in a first level because where we live is two level, the house. Is at the first level, maybe I meet the daughter and uh, she wants to, she's excited to see me, obviously. I'm back home and she comes and gives me the arms and I'm like, oh no, sorry, I can't say hi. And then you go maybe to the second level and you meet the sign and you say, oh, wait, I, I can't say hi. And you have to go in and right in the shower room, you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. You mean I cannot say hi to these kids? This is just how much COVID has changed, even the way we relate. This can break their heart because you're trying to think, I hope they're truly understanding the fact that I am carrying uh, I'm wearing dirty coats and I'm not just trying to ignore them and I hope they just understand that um, they could get sick. So I go and I take a shower and take out everything, put it in the laundry, put it to wash and, and then come down and then I have to say, okay, now I can say hi to you guys. And it affects you. It affects me personally because I'm thinking this is not what I'm used to. Every time you walk in and you get the first hug, you get the first laugh and you get the first joy from these kids and now suddenly I tell them, stop. I cannot stay away. We cannot touch each other. You kind of feel like, I hope this is not going to 
destroy the relationship and it's not going to affect them emotionally. But I think over the year, over the months, over the weeks, I had to explain to them that, you know, if you all say hi to me and uh, we, we hug, you are going to get sick. And uh, that is the reason why I have to pass and go upstairs. And they go to a point where they understood and they never, you know, cared and they waited. Sometimes they forget and uh, they want to say hi. But over the months, they got used to it and they kind of knew that before we say hi, I have to, uh, we have to wait for, for mom to go and take a shower and get ready. I would leave the shoes in the garage. I would leave every outer layer in the garage and keep the inner one. So it's kind of like you have two layers. You have a very slim layer inside and then you have uh, the scrubs on top. That way you can take out the scrubs and leave them in the garage and then just put them in the bag, walk with them upstairs and come upstairs in the inner layer. It's like, you almost feel like I wish I could just have a shower in the garage before I go upstairs. But that doesn't stop the worrying because the concern is what if I have it and I'm not symptomatic, I'm asymptomatic, they could still get it. So we check our temperatures every day in the way. You know, your experiences here in the U.S. make me really realize, you know, to the extent that the rest of us who are not in the health field and coming to, into contact with people every day who are sick with COVID, how much, how much more, you know, we have a real issue. It's because for us, we don't have to come into contact with people. Um, we just hear the numbers on the news and we think about, oh, I'm going to have to avoid going to these places, my kids, or I need to make sure that I don't go to this place or that place. But for you and your family, you're constantly having to deal with this. So thank you for your perspective. On the next episode, I'd love to hear what you have to say to those back home in Kenya who are dealing with COVID. Join us for the next episode of All Things Africa with Levy, Mike, and Linda. To get instant notifications on new episodes, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to our podcast. Or find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash allthingsafrica. Follow us on Twitter and keep the conversation going with the hashtag allthingsafrica. <laughs>